You are listening to the Star Coach Podcast with Meg Rentschler, Episode 42. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rentschler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Hey, Star Coach listeners. How are you today? It is wonderful to have you here. I'm your host, Meg Rentschler, executive and mentor coach and coach educator. And we are just enjoying the dog days of summer here in the North Texas area. It is hot, hot, hot. And when it is hot like this, I know we're not the only place in the country that is hot. As a matter of fact, clients that I talk to across the country, it is hot this summer. So I hope that you're taking care of yourself. I hope that you're being responsible in the heat. And while you enjoy the summer, you're doing so in such a way that you are minding your self-care. And self-care is one of the dynamics that we're going to be talking today in the show, going to be focusing on stop rescuing and start coaching. Our guest today is Donna Zajan. Donna is the wife of David Emerald. David wrote the book, The Power of Ted, and Ted stands for the Empowerment Dynamic. Now, many years ago, I bought the book, The Power of Ted, and when I read it, I thought, wow, what a usable tool for my clients. And at the time, gosh, I don't know whether I was still a therapist at the time or whether I was a coach at the time that I read it. But since then, I have given the book to many clients. I've referenced it in my teaching, in my sessions, and it's it's a powerful way to use the concept of the dreaded drama triangle that Dr. Cartman taught us many, many years ago into an empowerment dynamic instead of a drama triangle. And Donna is going to join us today as the Director of Coaching and Practitioner Services for The Power of Ted to talk about how we as caring, concerned coaches can fall sometimes into the place of rescuing rather than empowering our clients and in enabling rather than creating the dynamic of truly believing in our client's ability to self-motivate and self-direct change in their lives. So we're going to be looking at what are some of the characteristics of rescuing? Uh, what are some of the harm that comes from being a rescuer, both for ourselves and for the, the dynamic within the coaching relationship? And then ultimately, what are some tips and tools that we can apply to solidly take care of ourselves and, and step out of a role of a rescuer and very solidly into the role as a, a partner in the coaching relationship? 
Donna, as I said, is the Director of Coaching and Practitioner Services for The Power of TED. She's a Master Certified Coach and trains coaches in this empowerment dynamic. She and her husband have partnered for years in helping others understand the empowerment dynamic and how to apply it to their lives. And as coaches, we're going to first look today at what role we're playing within the coaching relationship and if there are any tweaks that we need to make. And then we'll share a new development within the interview that will take us another level. So let's go to our interview with Donna Zajan. I would like to welcome Donna Zajan to the show today. So let's just start with the concept of what brought you into this work? What got you interested in the concept of stop rescuing and start coaching and the whole drama versus healthy dynamics? Mm, well, first, Meg, thank you for inviting me. I love, there's, is there anything more fun than coaches talking to coaches? I mean, we get pretty excited about I get so excited about it. change. And, you know, and so now as 15 plus years as a professional coach, the way I got started in this, this uh, concept of habitual pleasing and accommodating or otherwise known as rescuing and the shift from rescuing to coach is because I saw it myself. I mean, it's pretty hard to see something in others until you first see it in yourself. And only now in my 60s, looking back over the course of my life, did I see how much I've been a rescuer from a family of pleasers. Went to undergraduate uh, uh, school to get my baccalaureate degree in nursing, immediately went into psychiatric nursing. My job was to help and please. I got interested in healthcare and ran for the Oregon legislature. I served several terms in partisan politics. And it wasn't until a few years ago that I realized my motivation to run for politics was to fix the other politicians, to fix the politicians that are causing all the problems, to fix the world. I was a gigantic pleaser. Now, I got accolades for being a benevolent, kind person, but my motivations were to rescue and fix And as I got more into life, three grown children, there were issues of substance abuse. And so through Al-Anon and through looking at my codependency, I saw my own rescuing and pleasing tendencies there. And then as a coach, I remember that day setting in coach training well over 15 years ago, trying to do a live coaching session and realizing that my whole training as a psychiatric mental health nurse was to assess diagnose and create a treatment plan. My job was to fix them. And That's to- right. let me tell you what you what you need to do different. Yeah, here's what I'm seeing. And I think if you did this, this and this. So there's a lot of aspects, Meg, of my life where I, was, I have been a professional pleaser. Hmm. And I see the the harm it does. And really, if you come into coaching with the attitude of let me diagnose and fix you, 
you're not coaching and nor are you really able to believe wholly in the the ability of your client, which is going to impact so many different things. Go ahead. Well, and absolutely there are times, I mean, if I have a terrible migraine headache, I want to go to a physician who's going to assess and treat me. So we're, we're, we know that distinction, don't we? Right. We're talking about coaching here. Absolutely. And and coaching for leaders, coaching for leaders to learn how to coach their teams, but especially for professional coaches who are in the realm of really understanding the beautiful and, and substantial qualities of the coaching profession. It's, it's a very artistic profession. And you, if you do not see your own need to fix others and your judgmentalness that can come from that, you can't coach. You're absolutely right. And bring an interesting point into that is for those people who are listening, thinking, hmm, I want, I want to figure out how I can coach people who are in a role of rescuing or that into that drama triangle and how do I make it an empowering dynamic instead of a rescuing dynamic. I want to kind of begin by saying Donna has already agreed to come back and do another interview where we are going to be able to focus on how do you as a coach help get people out of the drama triangle? And what are some techniques to that? But really, let's not put the cart before the horse. And the first thing we need to do is do some assessment ourselves as are we in a role of rescuing as a coach? And what are some of the negative dynamics or the things that can get in the way if that's the case? So our first interview today is really looking at how do we stop rescuing and maybe the first place we begin with that are what are some of those rescuing characteristics that we need to be aware of? What are some red flags that we can notice if Mm -hmm. we're in that place of potentially being a rescuer? Mm -hmm. Yeah, over the years, in my own experience, and working now with this work, the shift from the dreaded drama triangles, what David and I call it in his book, The Power of Ted, the drama triangle to the power of Ted roles is a significant and powerful self-identity shift. So how do you learn to see that? How do you learn to become familiar with that self-identity? Well, the three roles of victim, persecutor, rescuer that make up the Cartman drama triangle are strategies or behaviors that we adopt as human beings to manage our anxiety that arises in the moment. We don't like something that arises either in our thoughts or in a reality situation. So we have brilliant ways to come up with how to fix things. So just very quickly, the victim tends to say, oh, whatever, I don't have any power anyway, so I'll just kind of not take responsibility, set back, complain, and just see myself as you know rather small. Uh, it can be a loud voice and chatter, or it can be subtle and uh, uh, very pervasive over one's life if we take on that role. The person very powerless. Very powerless, yes. Mm-hmm. And we all do that at various different contexts in our life. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the second role is the persecutor. And the persecutor is the problem to the victim. It, the persecutor takes on a different strategy to manage their anxiety and situation. They say, and I'm kind of going to sculpture this, I'm going to jump in and take charge. I'm going to take control. I'm not going to be powerless. The last thing I want to be is that victim. So I'm going to manage my anxiety in the moment by the full intention of control, which could mean blame, put down, and take charge. 
Now, none of these are really bad roles unless it's the only way we do things. It's the only way we approach any situation. The third role is very interesting, and it's the rescuer role. And the rescuer says, okay, I don't like what's going on here. I think I'll jump in and help fix it. I think I'll become the pleaser. I think I'll be the one who wants to accommodate and make everything right. And if everything's right, then I'm not going to feel anxious. So with this background of these three kind of well-known archetypal ways of managing stress, victim, powerless, persecutor, I want to control and take charge, rescuer saying, oh, I don't like that conflict. I think I'll make everything better by please and accommodate. The rescuer is the one in society that is probably most supported. We get a lot of, if we're nice people. and Accolades, yeah. We don't, we do, which is also one of the reasons why it's a very tough one to work with. Yeah, and to maybe let go of, because we have all this secondary reinforcement. Yeah, exactly. So with that background, Meg, let's jump into your great question about, uh, you know, what are these qualities that make up the rescuer tendencies. And they're, they're probably on a range from one to 10. And, and, you know, if we do one to two to three to four to five in a neutral scale, it's not so bad. But if we're really consistently in a higher range, it could, rescuing tendencies could really interrupt your ability to coach and, and to get through life in, mm-hmm. in the sense that there is a real sense of obligation. It's my job to fix everything. And it's, it's an urgent fixing. I've got to jump in right away. The sense that drives that urgent obligation is that I'm indispensable. And, you know, actually a self-righteousness can start to develop in that if I know best and I'm the one that's going to jump in to fix it, then a superiority that, you know, because I've spent a lifetime as a rescuer, you don't really realize you might have that others might sense in you this sense of self-righteousness or superiority because you're just trying to help. Right. You're just trying to help, but it's got to at some point be interpreted as you don't really believe that I can do it myself or that I have the ability or that I'm so the resentment or I could see maybe a little bit of animosity building between the rescuer and the people that they're trying to rescue. Actually, that's a great idea. A great point. Dave and I often say that rescuers always ultimately become victims. Because all the list of great ideas and things that you tell others they should do, or you actually do for them when they can fully do for themselves, or you are uninvited, eventually they'll ever say, hey, I don't like your advice, or I don't want to do what you're doing, or they just don't show any gratitude. I could even see them maybe feeling like you're persecuting them at that point, that you're like pushing your control on them. And it's very surprising to rescuers when they get that epiphany that that's how others see them. What? I'm just trying to help. Mm-hmm. And so then they feel victimized. Exactly. That's where mm-hmm. I was going. So then the pushback, the victim pushes back. The rescuer sees the victim as a persecutor and the rescuer feels like a victim. So it's a dance around the drama triangle, sometimes in a nanosecond, can happen so fast and as you know, from using this as a coach, you've told me that this is a, a tool that you use to help people see and identify their behavior. Definitely. They, they see it very fast. And almost, it's, it can be a veil being lifted almost to, oh, 
because then we we begin to realize that maybe we have a choice about the roles that we play. Mm. Just a couple more quick characteristics yes. here. One of the things I hated to admit when I saw it uh, is that I would visualize all the accolades I get for being so helpful. Ah. I'd start uh, actually thinking, wow, if I do this, then they're going to say how great I was, which is underlying that need to feel loved and appreciated from the habitual pleasing. That's what drives that rescuing behavior. The other thing that happens is you start attracting a lot of needy people sometimes. If you're always out there helping, it's amazing how those that sense that start hanging around you. It's magnetic. It is. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then you can feel victimized. All, everybody around me always needs something from me. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and so what you start noticing, again, another quality is how hard you're working. How come you're the one that's staying up to midnight to finish the PowerPoint? Mm-hmm. How come you're the one that always always bakes the cookies for the children's whatever, because mm-hmm. everyone else knows you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And you're, now you're exhausted. And as a coach, if you're working really hard with your client and they're not doing the work, it's another telltale, telltale sign that you're, you're rescuing, you're jumping in and you're taking charge. I remember the quote when I first started coaching, I was told, if you're working harder than your client, you're not coaching. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, and what kind of dynamic does that begin to create? And co- what does that do to your curiosity as a coach and, and your willingness to not know if you're caught in the place of rescuing and have to know? Well, that's some of the harm that starts occurring with this rescuing posture is that you unknowingly disempower others under the title of I'm just trying to help. When you jump in and you're uninvited of uh, others become victims. Others give up their power. Why should they ever try? This happens with direct reports that might go frequently to the rescuing boss with a great idea. But over time, they stop bringing their great ideas because they know the boss is just going to jump in and, you know, take charge and help direct. You know, it's also a micromanager who can Mm -hmm. do that. But it's, it's rescuing that often drives those, those behaviors. So you really disempower others. And the um, last thing a coach wants to do is disempower their client. Well, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But I, especially as beginning coaching, remember, I was so driven by wanting to get positive results that I was a great coach. I would email them immediately with four more ideas that didn't come up in the session or three days later with a great book to read. Or, you know, that's rescuing behavior yeah. uh, when you want so much to be loved and you want to please people. So one of the harms, Meg, that I thought about this a lot, I think that a person who comes to both the rescuing world and leaders who are rescuers can eventually take a back seat to everyone else's views because they've so trained themselves to be hypersensitive. We rescuers are really hypersensitive to other people's needs. And so we, again, I think it's unknowingly, I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty strong extrovert, pretty strong energy. And yet I unknowingly would suppress what I really felt about a situation or I would muzzle or take a back seat to uh, speaking up with firm, powerful language uh, because I was hypersensitive to pleasing. You can become very angry and there can be a flip side to the rescuing personality where 
anger starts arising. So there's a lot of harm that one can do, not the least of which is, is exhaustion. Right. A funny little side story. I remember the morning about 10 years ago, beautiful sunny morning and the sun rose. And I thought, my God, the sun rose without me. And I know that sounds like a, an amazing insight that but once you get into an extreme relationship with life, mm-hmm. believe that it's your job, your obligation for the sun to rise without your help. It was a very tearful morning. And yeah, I- I'm thinking of just how how much you, so many different facets of your life must have been playing towards that to be in a place of that kind of awareness, that kind of owning of responsibility for so many things. Well, I think it's called pain and suffering. Yeah. This is one of the ultimate harms is you, is you go through eventually to a place of exhaustion and, and, you, and you see what you're doing to your family or to, I hadn't yet become a coach when I had that early morning epiphany. And, and so, yes, I believe that, that it takes some suffering to mm-hmm. see that even though we get accolades from being a kind, nice, helpful person, it is a, um, a lot of harm to not only yourself, but to others. Mm-hmm. But I, I just think of how exhausted you must have been in, in <laughs> caught up in, in that kind of a triangle. What are there any other rescuing characteristics that we miss that you think are key for people to be mm-hmm. aware of? Yeah, well, the constant thinking about other people. Now, we love to think about other people in that we as coaches care about a world of transformation. We deeply care about other people. And so where is this fine line between caring and letting go and caring so much that it's our only focus in life so that that's all we think about? We think about others or our clients or people in our family or our neighbors and what's wrong? What is it that I could do? Could I come up with an idea that if they just tried it, they would lessen their suffering? So constant awareness and focus on others mm-hmm. to an extreme is definitely a rescuing role. How about you? What comes to your mind? One of the things that that as you were talking that that I often share with the coaches that I'm mentoring or, or the students that I'm working with to strengthen their coaching muscles is that if you go into a session more worried about what can I do for my client, how can I be the super coach for my client, how can I ask the perfect, powerful question that is going to have that aha moment for them. And so it becomes all focused on how I can, how I as the coach can be sort of the center of this session, which is a rescuing kind of how can I Mm -hmm. be the perfect thing for them, then you're then you're getting in the way of your coaching, you're not, you've lost curiosity towards what the client is bringing because you're so focused on how you're going to rescue or bring or the value you're going to bring so that you shift away from curiosity, you shift away from wonder in what the client is bringing. And that fits very much into what you're talking about with being so worried about the value you bring to them or what you can do for them 
that you're not allowing their strength to to come into the session. Mm -hmm. And that sounds easy to explain that. And it's much harder to do. Absolutely. um, When we've had a life of wanting to be helpful and that, you know, our sometimes our internal mantra of I'm not enough and the whole enoughness uh, worry. Mm -hmm. And if that's our focus and we go into a session, as you say, with the hope that we're going to discover that unlocking question, then that focus, that mindset. So David and I teach the mindsets that, that create the drama triangle, the problem reactive oriented mindset versus the outcome oriented passion driven mindset that creates the empowerment trying triangles of coach rescuer or coach creator and challenger. Those role shifts are by our focus and our intention. And what you just said is easier said than done. Oh, absolutely. Getting that new coach to really let go and let process, we can listen. Mm -hmm. But it takes, it takes a, it takes training. It takes practice. It has to go from theoretical into practical. And the only way we can do that is to build that muscle, build that muscle, build that muscle. Earlier, Donna, you started talking about some of the harms, some of the different things that create harm from the concept of rescuing, from the practice of rescuing, any other harmful results that you wanted to focus on in, in today's interview? Yeah, well, the, um, the anger was one I just very lightly touched on. And this anger can arise over time when we constantly suppress our authentic self. And if we're focusing in a hypervigilant way, and this is our only strategy of how we deal with life's challenges, this go-to strategy of habitual pleasing and rescuing, this anger in us is going to eventually arise. And so one of the harms is anger that is unmitigated and is a surprising and we don't know where it comes from. And everyone that's around you that sees the anger when it does get triggered and comes out, well, what happened to her and or him or what's going on? What's going on with that person? Yeah. Yeah, when when everyone knows you as a kind, pleasing, helpful person. So so what happens then is there's a questioning of authenticity and this unpredictable anger that can arise. And eventually that can create some distrust. If you're not the person consistent, I mean, trust is so powerful, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, Eric Erickson, the fundamental fast, the first characteristic of a trusting relationship is is trust, obviously. Right, right, right. And, and so when we're unpredictable, And the way we're relating to life's events from pleasing to this sudden anger can create inauthentic, mistrusting relationships. And that's a big deal. Huge deal. So we obviously, if we're recognizing, if the listeners are sort of recognizing, oh my gosh, I fall into that trap or I am experiencing some of this stuff and I want to redirect that. I want to, I want to be different. I want to, now that I'm increasing my awareness about this, what are some things that they could maybe immediately apply or begin to do just to get started in shifting the mindset? Shifting mm-hmm. the, the behavior. Exactly. Well, the first one is 
goes back to the victim mentality because what's actually, even though I said there's three roles to the drama triangle, victim, persecutor, rescuer, underneath all three of those roles is a victim mentality. Mm -hmm. The victim mentality says, I don't like what's going on here. I'm actually uh, at a, I'm subject to the events that are going on. Mm-hmm. subject to the object of what's occurring, and I'm a victim to this. Now, I do want to say real quick here, there's clearly victimization that goes on in the world. Oh, yes. Clearly. One, yes. And so what we're talking about here, Meg, is victimhood and identity of our relationship to life's events. I can be robbed in a dark alley and be a victim to that. The question right. is, what's my thinking in relationship to that? And we, and we call that victimhood. Okay. Very important distinction. Yes. All right. So where I'm going with this is that in order to get out of this victim triangle, David and I, over a period of years as professional coaches, says there's got to be an antidote. There's got to be a flip side. And that's where our life's work now has gone with the empowerment dynamic based upon positive psychology, the alternative roles. So the first role of getting out of the victim mentality is becoming the creator of your own life. And you focus on the mindset is what is it I really want to create here? What is it I care about? Which One of the signs is that you'll feel the passion and excitement of what you care about. So here's where I'm going is that the other shift from persecutor to challenger, you learn to challenge without putting down and taking control. You become the truth teller and the shift from rescuer to coach. Now that role then is where we're really going here, isn't it? The learn to coach The first thing you must do, in my view, from now 10 years of experience with this, is to see your true essence of who you really are. And how does one do that? How does one see the true essence? Yeah. Well, what we're finding is these two triangles sitting right next to each other. People say, you can choose here. Do you want to be a victim to life and victim thinking and mentality that leads to rescuing and persecuting? Or do you want to see your true essence of who you are as a spiritual being or as a being with the life force in you? And this means you're whole and resourceful and complete as who you are as a human being. And with this creator essence now, you step into, and I want to partner and coach and work with others who are also creators in their own right of who they are. So the first understanding, uh, Meg, is that to really understand your true essence. And Mm -hmm. for me, this is a spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. Uh, For others, you could just see it cognitively as an identity journey. Mm -hmm. Uh, But taking a deep dive into the self-awareness, there is another way to live that's not full of exhaustion. And... The insight, what it, so the second thing I would recommend, Meg, that I have found is really helping people is the insight of the harm this does when you're rescuing. Okay. It's a big aha for a lot of people because of the accolades that society gives us and sometimes family dynamics is that, you know, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Mm-hmm. You know, it's habitual pleasing. To see the insight of the harm, I think, is a very important place to start because then cognitively we can gain an insight into the behavior. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as somebody gains that insight and gains that awareness and maybe finds, finds different 
areas that, that they might be able to find accolades that don't have to do with rescuing or internal essence and belonging and, and worthiness. All those are, are areas or beginnings of pathways to get change yes. the behavior and move into a different direction. It's a way to think differently. It's, it's mm-hmm. a mindset differently. Because what we're challenging here is the idea that you're self-sufficient and the world will evolve, the sun will rise on your shoulders. So the next thing I would suggest is to learn to ask for help. Rescuers are very poor at learning to ask for help. It's called self-care. Do not, they're very isolated. We're isolated. I have been isolated where I just do not ask for help and support and really can become hidden in the way we approach life. So that would be another thing I would say to begin this journey of moving out of your rescue pleasing uh, nature. And then I would say another important one that we talked about before we got on the call is notice your relationship with silence. Rescuers have a very difficult time with silence. And in that uncomfortableness, what often happens for a rescuer is to jump in and ask another question. Right. Or to, to not allow the client the, the space in that silence might be bringing to them in the way of insight and reflection. So to be both not a rescuer and to be a more powerful coach, appreciate the value of silence. And practice this and take a look at the level of your discomfort with silence, not just on coaching sessions, but with anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, being able to really look in the eye and be present and check how they are and then listen, just listen and, and let them share with you how they are without, uh, you know, 42 questions. So observe your relationship with silence would be another one. The other one is limit your time with fellow rescuers. Uh, There can be a very intense colluding going on with fellow rescuers. And you think that this is the way everybody behaves, the way you, you get stories going about all your helping behavior. And at the same time, limit your time with victims, people who love to look for rescuers that can trigger your rescuing behavior. And it may be important to limit time with certain people in your life uh, while you're beginning a new new journey here uh, out of the rescuing pleasing habit. So those are a few suggestions that I would say, but overall, most important is your insight about the, the harm it does and ask for help and learn to pause and slow down, know your true essence as who you are as a creator, and that the world will actually go on without your rescuing help. It will. Really good key stuff. In the trainings that you and David do, tell me a little bit about the kinds of coaching uh, training you have. Yes, I do have a recorded webinar, a six-session webinar called TED for Coaches, Getting Your Stuck Client Unstuck. And we take a look at this whole framework under a much broader realm of seeing it in yourself. What is it that you can do to shift out of the drama triangle into the TED roles? And then as a coach, then how do you see it in others and learn to coach others who are, who are challenged by the rescuing role? So there, we have a, te- a recorded, pre-recorded webinar. David and I have just launched a new e-course 
that is an eight unit, uh, you'll get a clear foundation of the principles of the Power of TED work. It's not geared just for coaches, but it is geared for organizations. It has an organizational language and mm-hmm. an application. Excellent. And then we have a two-day live course where you can really, we call it the deeper dive. We really do a lot of experiential exercises. So you get in your bones, these three roles, and you, uh, the second day we really get in your bones, the TED roles and have a, come up with an action plan of how to make shift happen in your life. Excellent. Excellent. Such incredibly important information. And I'm willing to bet everybody who is who is listening is is identifying things that they do as well as things that perhaps people they know do and and dynamics that have occurred in different relationships in their life. Mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to having you back for your next show, but I want to thank you so much for taking the time to share this really valuable information about how to stop rescuing and start coaching. Meg, thank you. And you know, my email is Donna, D-O-N-N-A at Power of Ted com and I do have a two-page summary of these role shifts. If anyone would like to email me, I'd be glad to send it to them. Excellent. And I'll also put that information on our resource page. So thank you. Thank you so much. See you again. There's different degrees of sort of involvement or interaction within certain dynamics. So when we consider the drama triangle and the way that either we can fall into some of those roles or our clients might fall into some of those roles, being aware of the dynamics and the interactions and the systems aspect of it, I think can be helpful to all of us to increase our awareness and ultimately make some decisions about the way that we're interacting with others. So I want to thank Donna for joining us today and giving us some perspective of what those characteristics are and how we can focus on staying healthy and staying in a place of partnering with our clients from a place of empowerment. If you'd like to know more about Donna or The Power of Ted or about our show, visit starcoachshow.com. On the resource page, I will post Donna's email address. And remember, she said that she's got some slides available if you would like to email her for those. And we'll also put The Power of Ted the book, a link to the book on the page if you'd like to be able to access that. I look forward to having Donna join the show again to talk to us about how we coach people out of the drama triangle into the empowerment dynamic. So when you're on the starcoachshow.com page, be sure to sign up for our ongoing book giveaway. Send me some feedback about the show or visit our Star Coach Show Facebook page and join the discussion there. Until next week, this is your host, Meg Rentschler, wishing you the very best for your coaching success. Have a fabulous week.